You are listening to the David Cassidy Connections with your host, Louise Poynton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the David Cassidy Connections, your podcast all about David from fans, friends, colleagues, and anyone touched by his life, explaining the influence he had. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from so you can be alerted when new episodes are released. Find us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And thank you for your wonderful feedback on shows so far. But if you've missed any or have just found us, all are archived on your preferred listening platform. So on to today's show. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, who is a lady I've been trying to pin down for some time. Since she retired from teaching, we thought she would have more time on her hands, but life has been busier than ever. Therefore, it is great to finally connect with Barb Collantine. We have known each other through Facebook for some years, and Barb has been a David fan for more than half a century. She created and runs the David Cassidy Virtual Fan Club and is president of the I Think I Love You Animal Foundation, established in David's memory. She was lucky enough to meet David and hopefully will talk to us about her own brush with velvet. And she also has a dog named, of course, Cassidy. Welcome to the show from sunny Florida, Bob. Hello, Louise. It's so great. It's so great to see you, to meet you. It re- it just really is. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And um, I just, yeah, I'm just so happy that for your success, for your book. And uh, um, I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. You're Ruth McCartney. I can't even describe how much I enjoyed that one. I didn't even know who she was. I never even knew Paul McCartney had like a stepsister. So for her to be so friends with David was great. Oh, well, thank you. It's great to meet you. I feel as though we're old friends already. Yeah, a lot of emails back and forth. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So are you actually busier now than you were when you were teaching? Well, it's a different kind of busy. Um, my, We've actually made a lot of friends down here so um, already. I didn't really do much when I was teaching like um, during the week. I really didn't go out much because I had to get up early. I'm sure you know. Um, and, uh, I didn't really like to go out at night. And, um, so now that I don't have to get up and go to work or prepare for lessons and things like that, I, um, I find that we're out and about more. We, we, we bought some bicycles and we're out in the nice weather quite often exercising. When I say we, I mean, me and my husband, obviously my father-in-law, uh, just moved in with us and we, um, are kind of rearranging our life a little bit around him, which is great. And uh, we actually are going to move into our final home that we bought um, in about a month. So that'll make us even more busy. Yes, we have a lot going on. And in the meantime, uh, you know, all the different things like hobbies like David and other things that I'm interested in and stuff like that. So we're fitting it all in. So let's tell people that you were living in New Jersey, close to Orange, where David spent his formative years. Yes, I, I grew up about 40 minutes from um, 23 Elm Street in West Orange, as we all know it. And uh, I don't think I really ever knew he even lived there until like the actual address until the book, his uh, his book came out. And I actually had a picture of the, the house, as you know, in the book and him standing on the front stoop. And I had the address and I and I, it just never even occurred to me to go there. Never until, of course, he passed away. And then um, my husband graciously um, took me there because I was, I still get emotional talking about it. Um, I I was really, I wanted to go when the weather got nice because he passed in the winter and winters in New Jersey, as you know, are a little brutal. Um, And so we went, I think I want to say May of 2018. And um, it was very moving. It was very moving. I was the only person there that day, obviously, as a normal house street, very suburban neighborhood. And when I did go, it was a couple of weeks after he passed, uh, the first birthday of his passing. And when I went to the house, there was a little wreath uh, with his picture in the middle. It was plastic flowers. And and, um, I believe it had been placed there on his birthday a couple of weeks earlier. And um, it was still sitting out there by the front stoop. 
And um, I've, um, I've been back since and I've talked to people who live near there and the owner does leave the things out there that people leave in um, memory of David. So the, the guy knows well aware of where he lives and the importance of it to people and he leaves everybody alone. You know, I've been there several times with a group of people <laughs> now that I can, find, I can find it so easily when I was living in New Jersey and um, he, um, we, I'm sure he knew we were out there taking pictures and things like that. And we met a next door neighbor and they were, they're just so gracious uh, to the fans. And they say that um, people come on significant days, like on the 12th of April and they come on the 21st and, and they just, um, they just leave it. Um, we actually had, uh, since we made friends with the neighbor, the guy who lives next door, because the guy who owns the house doesn't come out when this is going on. No. He doesn't seem to come out. And so when we met the neighbor, um, he, we became friends with him and we sent flowers there to him this year on the 21st. And he was gracious enough to, um, put them on the lawn, um, for us and take pictures and send them to us. And we put them, posted them on Facebook. Why do you think it was important to, to go there? Why was it important for me to go there? Um, it was important because I felt lost. I felt really lost. And, um, this is where I get emotional. Sorry. Um, I just felt like I needed to connect, uh, because now the connection was gone, you know, like I, all those years that I said, Oh, I'll go see him eventually again. Um, and I didn't because, you know, you take it for granted. And so I, uh, I felt a little bit lost and I needed to go there. And so when I still saw that wreath there, that was very moving for me because it had been a couple of weeks since he had passed and I took a lot of pictures and, uh, um, I just, I just wanted to be around the aura there of, um, of him, which, um, not to continue talking so much, but I actually went to his Fort Lauderdale house before I went to the West Orange house. Cause I happened to be in Florida the week, the Christmas after he passed. So it was like four weeks later. Mm. And my husband said, why don't we do a road trip today to Fort Lauderdale? It was two hours South of where we were in um, Florida. And I said, would you, would you mind? And he said, no. And so we went to the house, the mansion um, that you can Google it and see it. We couldn't get in it. There was nobody home. And um, it was the same thing, Louise. It was, I needed to be near his stuff. Um, I, I can't really explain it. It's been a very confusing time for me when it first, when he first passed, as I'm sure a lot of fans felt the same way, confusion. Um, but that's basically why I, I just needed, I don't want to say closure, but I just needed to be, see if I could be around his stuff, I guess, mm. as close as I could get. Yeah. No, it, any fan will understand that. And anyone who has idolized anybody from Elvis to George Michael to John Lennon, you need to be there. You need to be walking in the footsteps of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That's how I felt. Um, you know, I, I took a lot of pictures there also at the mansion and uh, <laughs> silly things like outside the mailboxes on the outside of the gate. And I would think like, oh, this is where his mail was. <laughs> you know, like dumb stuff. Like you almost go back to being 11, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but you just do imagine it. And I had a couple of weird experiences while I was there, like almost like it was a sign. Um, I went to, um, so we went to see the house and then we went to the beach and it started to rain a little bit. And so we started to walk by the marina. This is all within 10 minutes of where David had lived. Um, obviously boats were big in his life too. And um, we've seen many pictures of him on boats. And um, so I was walking in this little strip mall with my husband and we're going to this marina because we have boats and we always like to look at boats. Right. And um he stops me. My husband is amazing with all the David Cassidy stuff. It's very strange. Um, he stops me and he goes, look in that window. And it was like a store for uh, kids to learn how to swim. There was no one in the store. It was, the door was open, but you know, it's Florida. It's like, whatever, you know, and he goes, look in the window of that, of that store. This was 10 minutes after we left David's house. And I look in the window and I see all these like little kid things like um, floaties and, you know, little fish decorations and all of a sudden in the middle of the window is this wooden sign has nothing to do with the store. And it says cherish in big black letters on it. And I'm standing there and I'm like, 
Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I've, I've got to have it. I, I, I've got to have that. Like, it was right 10 feet away from where David grew up. I mean, we just saw or lived, we just saw him, the house. So I went in and I found the manager and I told her the story. She got a little teary. <laughs> Remember, this was like a month after he passed. And she said, you know, well, how much do you want for it? And I said, you know, an amount. And she kind of smiled and laughed and she just said, you can just have it. it and it wasn't even a decoration. It wasn't even anything to do with the store. It was something that she found in her house about a month earlier. Yeah. And she said, oh, let me just take this and throw it in the store in the window. It was very strange. So I, I took it home and I still have it. And uh, it's a it's a cherished piece in my house. It's like uh, and my husband totally gets it, you know, <laughs> so so that was cool. Yeah. That was cool. When you have experiences like that, does it make you believe in angels? Yeah, it does. It, it yeah, yeah. We have uh, we have a lot of angel beliefs in this house, and um, it, it. I don't know. If, yeah, I guess angels, but also signs that the person is aware that you loved them. That's really um, what I think of it. Is that there's an energy that you give off that applies to that person. Um, like looking at that chair son, I didn't think of my mom. I didn't think of, you know, and I thought of obviously David. And I feel like that energy is felt by that person who has passed and they kind of like swoop in and they, uh, and they show you, yeah, I'm still here. And I know you love me. And, and that's just how I feel. I just feel that signs like that are, are, are love returned and felt by the person that you associate the sign with. So. That is very, very powerful. I know of many fans who have experienced his presence. Mm. And yeah. it's very important. Are you looking for, for closure? But you just need to know that he knew how much we all loved him. Yeah, it's important. Otherwise, it's like almost like an emotion that has nowhere to go. <laughs> you know? So and you stifle it and, it and you feel uncomfortable. So when you meet people or you see these signs, you don't think you're nuts. You, it validates that because this was such a big chunk of your life. It kind of validates it. So when did David first appear on your radar as a little girl? <laughs> um, I would say it was probably the Partridge family. Um, I know in England that you guys didn't get the Partridge family till after he was a you know, a singing sensation over there. But I, I knew nothing of him. Um, I know a lot of my friends saw him on Adam 12, and the, but I, I had never seen those shows with him on them or didn't recognize him. And so I guess it was the Partridge family and especially the music. As soon as I was given my first album, which I, I want to say it was, had probably was up to date. That's when everything changed for me because the music really um, impacted me. And um, it made me pay more attention to David. And then, of course, he was so, you know, good looking, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I just fell in love with the show and him and um, never looked back, never looked back. Never been out of my life. That is such a strong presence for so many young girls, as well as boys as well. But for you, why was he so important? This is going to sound really weird, but um, I'm a teacher. I was an English teacher. Words have been my whole life. I've loved to read since I was a kid, you know, big chapter books, they call them, whatever. And um, I, I never saw him in concert when I was a little kid, which I feel, you know, very regretful about, but you know, what can you do? Uh, I saw him when he was older and stuff like that. And, you know, I hear these stories about these kids, like women or whatever, throwing their underwear or just throwing these personal, you know, things at him or saying like all these Roman, you know, I obviously was adorable and I loved him and I, and I thought he was really cute and I had his posters and stuff. But for me, I really think it was the music and the lyrics that um, really, really impacted me enormously as an eight and nine year old, 10 year old little girl. I mean, I'm just starting to read. I'm just starting to learn to love language. And I would look at, I would listen to the records like up to date sound magazine. And I would be listening to the lyrics and think to myself, you know, I'm reading like Little House in the Prairie and I'm reading like Charlotte's Web, these books, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, even as like a 10 or 11 year old, as I'm becoming more aware, I'm like, oh, you can do that. Like with words, you can do that in a song. Like, and like, and I have to like really accredit Tony Romeo to that because I really feel like he was just 
as huge an influence on me and the way my life went than David. And I get a little emotional here. Um, the lyrics of the songs, the Tony Romeo songs, were life-changing for me. They really showed me that there were no rules when it came to writing. Um, and you, as long as you were expressing yourself, you could do it in any way you want. Like some of those songs, like I can't, I can't even rattle them all off. I mean, we'd be here for hours. But just like together, the song together um, on the Notebook album, the first couple of lines of that song, they're so clever. They're so... Um, unique in terms of them and running and hiding and so they don't want to be caught with their love and all that and uh, just you know the cleverness of, of, of songs like that I mean I can't even think of them off the top of my head but I really really looked at listened to those songs and um, thought to myself wow that's clever and I'm 10 I'm 10 I'm not like 25 I'm 10 years old and I'm going wow that's clever that's cute oh that's a great sentence or and so that's really what the impact for me was was the songs and of course the performances on the tv show david was just like come on i mean he just belted these songs out and i mean i find it hard to believe you know he didn't like the partridge family of course he did you could see him singing his heart out in these songs like in these clips even the guy's amazing it's just amazing. So, so that's that. That was a big, big impact for me. Was that, if that makes any sense? It does completely because so many people will say, "Oh, I was influenced by the Partridge Family music to become a songwriter, um, to become a performer, to pick up the guitar." For you, it turned out to be a career as an English teacher. Yeah, as a writer, as somebody who loved to play with words, somebody who, who even when I read other books, obviously stuff I didn't write, I would look at a sentence and go, wow, that's a great sentence. And I would look at it again and I would just read it again and I would just kind of stop and savor it. Just kind of like the, with the Partridge Family music, you know, when I'm, I'm listening to it now on my, eye, on my phone when I'm walking the dog and I just stop in my tracks and I get like teary eyed, like the, the, it's sublime. The music is sublime. I mean, you had John Baylor on, I, I just, so educational for me. I just, um, I think I cried after it was over. It was, I, I love that man. Yeah. That man is amazingly talented. I, there was so much about him I didn't know. I couldn't get enough of him talking. His, his experience with that and his credibility that he lended to those sessions and the lyrics that, you know, that people um, kind of scoffed off the, the music. And it's like, no, <laughs> mm. no, there's some real talent there. And it, it did it, it did change the way I write and think about words. Absolutely. So it was that influence which led you to become a teacher. Yes, to become a teacher uh, that, that I wanted to show kids. Um, and I don't even think I understood that that impact till looking back even like a couple of years ago. Um, like, like, again, in, in the journey of why am I so upset that this person has passed? I, he never came over my house, you know, like I didn't know him. And, um, you know, so you kind of try to figure it out. And it kind of occurred to me, you know, that I'm doing to my students, trying to get them to love to read, trying to get them to love to write, look at their writing, how could I say it better? Um, the way that I was impacted, yeah, by song lyrics. Yeah, definitely. That was my first experience with understanding lyrics and that it's a process and that it's a game sometimes. Because when I was growing up, Bing Crosby was on in my house. He's another second, my, my second favorite singer. Again, beautiful lyrics, wonderful, you know, voice. But I, I, don't, I was hearing it when I was like five, six, seven. I think I heard somebody say on your podcast previously that this is the first, it might have been even you, this was the first music that was ours, right? Um, you know, I didn't have to listen to Dean Martin and Bing Crosby anymore. Not that I didn't love them, but um, I wanted to give to my students the ability to appreciate language. And I think it came from from music lyrics rather than even um, from reading. So, yeah, to your That's point. Correct. I don't even think I realized that till about two years ago. Really? Yeah, I think about it a lot. I think about it a lot because it continues as I listen to the music over and over again. I, I just still am blown away by it. Uh, because so, so often English teachers will be influenced by the classic works. Mm, I don't even think I read the classic works until I was a teacher and had to teach them. Yeah, so you're really doing a deep dive here with me. <laughs> so yeah, it really was the, it really was the Fortune Family music that uh, really, really influenced my uh, love of words and language. Absolutely, definitely was. 
And did yeah. you ever have the opportunity during your, what was it, 27 years as a, as a teacher, take any of your students through the journey that you had and explain to them about how words can be used, not just in prose, but into music? Yes, actually, I have done that. Um, I actually, when I when David turned 50, I took a big risk. I said, that would have been when? That would have been 19... When did he turn 50? I don't remember. But I was, was 2000 maybe? Yeah, 2000. So I was teaching maybe only six years. I took a big risk and I actually threw a birthday party for him in my class. And I put a big uh, picture of him on the blackboard and he would love this because kids walked in and went, who's she? (laughs) (laughs) Which is what he used to say all the time. (laughs) And I was like, who's she? Ask your mother's. And so a couple, I told them the night before their homework was to make cards for him. So they all brought all these cards in with pictures off the internet because the the internet was just coming out and they had computers and stuff. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about who he was and I talked about the music to them. I guess it did make an impact on them because that summer, one of my, I think it was that summer, one of my students went to Vegas and he was starring in at the, uh, the Copa. And as I guess she was driving down the highway with her uh, mother in the car, she took a picture of the billboard on the street and uh, a lot of the indoor um, signage of the show. And she got them printed out because there was no phones then. And um, she gave them to me and I still have them. (laughs) So um, and then the other thing I did was I was um, we had a course um, history of rock and roll in my high school. And the guy who was the teacher of it asked me to come in and do a guest talk on the Partridge family. And this was all before David passed. So this was because the people in my life know that he was significant. And so he said to me, oh, I know you love the Partridge family. We come in and talk about being a teen idol and having 45s. And so I went in and spoke basically about the power of lyrics and the power of of understanding them. (laughs) He was far more than Keith Partridge. Mm-hmm. You know, there was so much more substance to him as a musician that people forget about. They can't look beyond the idolatry and actually see what they should see. They see what they want to see. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I talked about with the kids in the rock and roll lecture, um, you know, how they can, you can go from a group and then become this star on your own with other talents. Um, and I think I gave them the example of like Justin Timberlake who was, you know, he was on the Mickey Mouse Club and then he was in this other band. And now he's like this well-respected musician. And uh, so I talked to them a little bit about what happened to him when he left the Partridge family. And I think they, uh, I think they learned a lot. So I was trying to educate them as well, Louise. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's what we have to do. You know, like the beautiful people are always the ones that suffer the most. Yeah. You know, you look at Marilyn Monroe, Princess Diana, Elvis, People who have got that aura about them, sometimes they seem to suffer the most in their personal and professional lives because people will only see what they want to see. Yeah, and um, I wasn't um, embarrassed or anything when he asked me to do it. You know, it wasn't like people were like, oh, the Parch, you're still talking about the Parch family? I was proud to stand up there and say, you know, this music's been around for a long time. It's not going anywhere Mm. because 2000, obviously. And um, I was proud to educate them to use your word and uh it was fun of course david has also brought so many of us together and established so many wonderful friendships tell me how the virtual david cassidy fan club came to be because it actually goes back to the first walk round new york city yeah it's it's kind of a involved story and it totally happened accidentally if we didn't have the pandemic i don't even i don't even think it would be a thing but what happened was um is that, as you just mentioned, that there was a tribute walk that would go on. Um, it started in 2018, April after David passed. And a friend, a, a girl who was uh, in Long Island, her name is Karen, um, she put a post on Facebook that she wanted to do a tribute walk in New York City. If any fans around the area were interested, you know, she wanted to do it on April 12th, which was the first birthday after he passed. I jumped on it. I was like, I want to go. I want to meet other people. I had never met a David Cassidy fan like myself since I was nine or 10. You know, everybody grows up and goes on their way. And um, I kind of always kept it hidden because it didn't really apply to anybody. 
So um, when I saw this, um, and I had been on Facebook since he passed for quite a while. So I contacted her, I got I met her, I met a, a handful of other people, I don't think a lot of people were uh, willing to uh, risk meeting a bunch of strangers in New York City. Uh, it's a big risk. And you don't know what these people are going to be like. I mean, I had no idea. Um, but um, so I met her and we, I met a bunch of other people. We walked around and it was great. And I became very good friends with her because I only lived about 45 minutes away from her being in Jersey. So then the next year she had the second tribute walk. I went to that. I helped her out running it a little bit. And then the third year was the pandemic. So I was home virtually teaching and we had been talking about, are we going to have it? Should we cancel it? So obviously we had to cancel it. And I said to her, Hey, I said, why don't we do a virtual one? And this way we can invite the people who were going to come and we can still have it. I said, I've been playing around with this Google stuff, this zoom stuff at school. And, uh, we had it on zoom. So now we had the opportunity to invite people who weren't just going to come physically. We can invite anyone. So we did end up inviting Bruce Kimmel and we had him on and we had uh, Johnny Ray Miller on and we had about 30 other fans and it was so much fun. They came on, they did their thing. Bruce talked about, you know, you've had him on his great stories and uh, it was really surreal actually. Mm. And, um, and then they left and the 30 of us or the 20 of us were sitting there and we started playing games and singing songs and laughing. And we had never, like you and I had never met. We had never met each other before. I didn't, the only reason I knew your voice was because of your podcast, but I didn't know these people's voices. I didn't know anything. It was really, really fun. So I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. I'm like, I didn't want that to end. That was really fun. So I got up the next morning and I emailed some of my closest David friends that I had met in the last two years. And I said, I want to do this thing. Um, do you think I'm crazy? And I want to make it a virtual fan club. I want to do a couple of meets a year so everybody can meet and have as much fun as we did from all over the world. We know we're out there. We're on Facebook. And I said, would you guys want to you know, help me run it? And they were like, absolutely. And, um, and that's how it started. And uh, we have a page, obviously, like there's Facebook pages. And then um, every couple of months, we'll have a meet and I'll advertise it and people will sign up. And let me tell you, it has been, it was a risky thing to do. I didn't know. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, I'm going to do a broadcast all over the world. I don't know how this is going to, like with you and me and having Wi-Fi issues. I'm like, how is this going to work? How am I going to get a person from Belgium to be able to do this? And it's free. So it's like, it really is a good draw for people because they don't have to pay. It was, a, I was nervous. I was very nervous. I'm like, are people going to even want to be on the page? Are people going to want to do this? And let me tell you, it exploded. Like it's been extremely, extremely rewarding. Very rewarding. I love it. I think it's so, because we all need each other. Yeah. I think it's very um, interesting that you can be talking to somebody on Facebook for months or private messaging for months or reading people's comments for months, but you don't know really what they look like, how they sound, what their demeanor is. And then when you get on these virtual meets and you meet these people and you hear them talk and they're sharing stories and it's amazing. It can be very emotional. It can be very emotional when people who are on one of the virtual meets see a friend they've been talking to for the first time in months and they can just burst into tears. Like I've done it. I've done it. For me, the best part of the meets are when we sign everybody on and almost like the Brady Bunch squares start growing and somebody comes on and you know their name and then somebody comes on and somebody recognizes somebody from across the squares and goes, oh my God, it's you. And everybody's saying hello to each other and everybody finally, I mean, I get very teary eyed. It's, it's probably the best part of the meet for me is the sign on. It's just wonderful. You share stories as well. You have your brush with velvet section. Yes, one of the people who runs it with me, um, either Annette, Karen, Karen or Joanna, Robin, I don't remember who it was. We decided to have a segment called Brush with Velvet where somebody um, will email us and tell us a story of how they met David um, or even you know somebody, Brian or Susan or somebody on the show, mostly it's David. Um, and then they have their own 15 minutes where they get to talk and tell the story, show pictures, you know, and, um, and we've had quite a few people telling us these amazing, hilarious stories. Some of them are emotional. 
and uh, you know, waiting outside elevator doors for him. Like I never did anything like that. And to listen to these people tell this and we're cracking up laughing and people are interrupting and asking questions. And it's so much fun. And then we have another segment called memorabilia moment, which is somebody who's got something that means something to them that's associated with the Partridge family or David or anything. They show it to us on the meet and um, explain the story behind it. And so it, it focuses on the fans a little bit. Occasionally we'll have a guest, um, but we've had some, we've been lucky with some of our guests, but we like to keep it fan based also because then it's the more silliness and we can talk. And it's really, really been um, a, a really rewarding experience. And uh, I love it. I mean, I really feel like, one of the benefits of it that I never saw coming was so many people are becoming friends because they see each other on the meet and then they really feel a connection with someone they've been talking to because their personality has just a demeanor that they respond to or, you know, so it's, um, we've had quite a few people email me saying, um, I met this person for the first time we got together and wouldn't have had the guts to do it if I didn't see them on your meet. It was yeah. so it's been really yeah it's been really rewarding yeah. unexpected benefits do you have many male fans joining we do actually um we have let's see um i'm trying to think probably have about we've got about 600 members that's a great question in terms of a total i don't think i know the answer we've got at least 40 guys yeah. and we usually have about two or three that will make it to a meet we're very happy when they're on because um for probably for why you're asking you know, we want to know other people's uh, impressions and experiences. That isn't just like, ooh, he was so handsome. Yeah. So um, so we love it when the guys come on. We love when the testosterone uh, goes up a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's good. So tell me about your brush with Velvet when you had the wonderful opportunity to meet him. Well, this was a crazy story. Um Basically, I think it was back in 94, 93 or 94, um, David was doing Blood Brothers with Sean. Now, I had seen him previously in early 90s when Danny was opening for him and he was just making that 90s comeback, David. Um, and I had met him by, by accident at a racetrack in the 80s, I want to say. But um, I had never really seen him before. Um, and... Um, so what happened was they had this local radio station in New York City was having a contest um, because he was going to be, I guess, on the radio promoting Blood Brothers. So they said, if you want to meet David Cassidy, we're having a contest. Basically, write a letter to us as why you desperately need to meet David Cassidy. I was like, hmm, write a letter. Wow, that's interesting. I'm a wordsmith, you know, whatever. Maybe I could do this. So. I actually thought to myself, write a letter. That's kind of bland. Everybody's going to write a letter. I'm like, how can I do something a little different? So I wrote a poem. And I wrote my poem to the tune of, I think I love you. And the tagline, the bridge, whatever you call it, I don't even know, was instead of, I think I love you, it was, I want to meet you. So, so the song, so the... <laughs> So the, the poem was basically the, the tune and the lyrics. It wasn't the tune. I didn't send a tape in. It was, it was basically, um, I want to meet you. And then underneath in parentheses, I wrote, um, read to the tune of, I think I love you, obviously. And so it was basically a stanza by stanza, borrowing some of the wordage and then putting in my own lines um, with that Tony Romeo influence, I'm sure. And I won. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so I was one of uh, the 10 winners and I was able to bring a guest and we met um, the DJ and we all went to see Blood Brothers. And then we got to meet David after um, after the show on the stage with Sean. We met Petula Clark. Um, so I got to meet him and it was I can't, I can't, I can't even describe it. I mean, I asked him if I could kiss him on the cheek, like what nerve? And he said, yes. <laughs> so I did. And uh, I'm sure everyone's asked him that. And he was probably, you know, he, he's, he was so great about it. I mean, there's all these kooky women there and we're all 35, you know? Um, and so that's how I met him. And um, I had, I also um, had the experience of, um, I guess I, my sister knew somebody who worked on Regis and Kathy Lee. Do you know, you know, the show yes. Regis, yeah, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, he was going to be on with Sean one morning. Um, 
you know, advertising that they're in Blood Brothers. I had tickets already. I had bought tickets. I had won tickets, obviously, on the radio station, and I had bought tickets to see it. But so my my sister got tickets for us to go see uh, Sean and David on Regis and, uh, and Kathy Lee when um, they were going to be on. So we got up at like six o'clock in the morning. Again, proximity to New York City, very helpful. Um, we got up at like six o'clock in the morning, got online, got front row, you know, first come, first serve, like little seats that you sit in. And I'm sure you've been in TV stations, you know, whatever. And I brought my album, my Cherish album. And because um, I thought maybe if we're after the show, if we see him, I can ask him to sign it, whatever. So, so I'm sitting there in these little seats with my sister and I have my album and it's by my feet and I have it down by my feet. And Regis comes out ahead of time. Now, this is the episode where David and Sean are going to sing Tell Me It's Not True, which has been all over the Internet. And I didn't know this, of course. So I'm sitting there with my album at my feet, my Cherish album. And um, my sister, I think, has her Sean Cassidy album at her feet. And Regis comes out to welcome the crowd. And he sees us and he sees he comes over, he goes, oh, do you want the boys to sign these albums? He calls them the boys, whatever. And we're sitting there. First of all, it's Regis Philbin. And he's standing in front of me. And I'm like, I'm going to have a heart attack. And he comes over. He's like, would you like the boys to sign your albums or whatever? And we're like, uh, yeah, sure. If you can get him to do that or whatever. So he takes our albums and a couple of other women's that had them. And all I keep thinking as he's walking away is not, oh my God, I'm going to get my album autographed or, oh, I can't believe I just talked to Regis. My a whole time I kept thinking, please give that album back to me. Please make sure you give that album back to me. <laughs> like, it was my cherished album. It's my whole life. Like I didn't want to lose that album. So long story short, they go to the, the chat in the beginning before they sing. And if you watch it on YouTube and you see the long version of them being interviewed before they sing, Regis holds up uh, the, my Cherish album. And he starts using it as a prop to talk to um, David and Sean um, about these the pictures and stuff. And I, my, my, me and my sister were like, oh my God. We were like elbowing each other. It was so amazing. And then at the commercial, he brought the albums back and he had signed right over the red sweater. And it is, I'd say, one of my most prized possessions. Wow. Just was an amazing experience. Yeah, I've been very lucky. Everybody I speak to who's ever met him, no matter how brief, they say it was just the moment in time that stopped me in my tracks. And I either said something completely foolish and then thought, God, why did I say that? Or <laughs> I couldn't say anything at all. Yeah, well, it's sort of like when I like kiss, asked if I could kiss him on the cheek. Oh, what? Why did I do that? Like, I mean, what a, what a dopey thing to do. But I did it and I'm not sorry. But I just felt like, yeah, it was just a, a sur it was surreal. Yeah. Like you said, it was a, a blur. I don't remember much. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that the YouTube videos out there, um, because I don't remember um, them really singing unless I watch it. So that was, that was pretty cool meeting him and, and that happening was because like meeting him was like a fleeting moment, like you said, but um, having the album taken and getting signed and giving back and then being able to see it on, it, I can just watch it and remember it forever. Those were special times. Did yeah. you see his last show at BB Kings? No, this is one of those regrets that people have. I mean, I lived so close and I just, I just didn't go. And um, yeah, I didn't go. So the last time I saw him was Niagara Falls New Year's Eve of 2000 I want to say four and um my husband got us tickets and we drove all the way up to Canada and uh yeah that was the last time I saw him and 17 years who knew 17 years later he was only going to be you know 67 years old you know or, or however many years it was 13 years later I would have gone to every single moment but mm. you know you don't know that's the no. thing that was rough I think also because his passing was so so unexpected everybody who hadn't seen him in concert, anyone who hadn't had the opportunity to meet him felt, I don't have that opportunity now, it's, it's gone. And yeah. with that comes the regrets. I wish I'd gone to that concert. I wish I'd stayed off after that show and got his autograph. All those little regrets because with his passing, those opportunities went. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's when everybody went running back to their boxes that were shoved under their beds or in their closets. And 
it was sort of like when I went to his house, you just want to be near the stuff that was him. And, um, and then the next place to go was Facebook and, and grieve with all the people that were suddenly appearing out of nowhere that were still fans, you know, and we didn't know that there were people out there. <laughs> I thought I was the only person still vacuuming to the Partridge family. This is it as, as well. We all thought, I'm the only one that thinks like this. I'm the only mid, middle-aged woman who still has this candle for my my teen idol in the 1970s. But we grew with him. Yeah. And I, I think that yeah. was important to everybody because of him, we became, in many ways, the people we are today. I definitely am. I mean... So much so that that's why I never put the stuff away and never, well, I mean, I put the stuff away, but the albums and the music, um, always listened to it. I remember when I first moved out of my own apartment, I shared with a girl, I would wait for her to uh, leave and then I would blast the Partridge Family music. And it was like, it was like 1989 or something. So there's no Partridge Family for years, but I didn't want anyone knowing I was still listening to the music. <laughs> On your virtual fan club you have some very moving moments when you light candles in his memory yeah that's a that's a it's a rough one and it is it is very moving because the people we do take it so seriously and I feel like sometimes if somebody walked in who wasn't a fan or didn't get the idol thing they'd be like what is going on but but basically what happened was the first one that we did the first um November 21st meet that we had because like again the first time that he passed, um, there was no Zoom or, or anything like that, really. It was a regular world. So we were by ourselves again. I think a lot of us went to the internet and put pictures of candles and stuff on Facebook so we could, you know, kind of be together. But that was a tough time to be alone for a lot of fans, I think, that night, that November 21st, that first um, passing. Um, so when the virtual thing hit, I thought, okay, now we can all light candles together. And so the first year we did that, and I told, we told everybody, I would post on the page, get a candle ready, you know, we're going to do that at some point. So we would have the meat, we would do kind of the silliness a little bit. We always knew that eventually it was going to become a very um, important moment, a part of the experience of the meat. And then at the end, um, what we did was everybody lit a candle. And um, what happens is, you, you know, when you have mute, um, obviously no one can hear anything. So everybody puts, put themselves on mute and, um, everybody you know, lit a candle. And then what I did was I took pictures from each of the, um, like, I guess the squares that come up and, um, people sent, um, if I didn't get a good picture, people sent me one and I, I made a book, a PDF file of all the pictures of, um, people's candles and I asked people, you know, they have a chat box, obviously, in the Zoom. And I asked people to put a comment in of what they were thinking or how they were feeling during the, the two minutes of silence. And then when you when you record the meet, like I do, um, and edit it as you do, um, the chat box is saved as well. And so I took all the comments that people made and I wrote them on the pictures um, in this PDF book. So it basically was a picture of it had the person's name at the top. It was the candle with David's picture usually. And then it was their comment and where they were from. Um, and it's this big PDF long file, maybe 40 pages. And I sent it to everybody after I made it. Wow. So everybody had like a copy. So that was the first thing. And then the second one, I realized that we could do it um, a different way. And what I did was I had, um, this is actually on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm. Um, I had everybody light a candle and then what I asked everybody to do was um, say their name and where they're from, because then the camera on Zoom would go to them. And so, because um, it always goes to the person talking. So I always, sh I would try to shut up so people could other have the spotlight. And so everybody would, um, they said their name and where they were from. And then what I did was I edited the meet and I had one after the other in this big, long, um, I guess it was probably about 15 minute candle moment of silence and I put it on YouTube so it could be watched by everybody. And it came out really good. It was very emotional. You could hear people kind of choking up. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that we do. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's important because there is not really anywhere for the fans to go and we find our own ways of remembering him. 
Yeah, and for the for the hundred and you know twenty people or the eighty that come on a meet, I mean, there's six hundred people in the club, but you know, when you have a meet, you can't get everybody. The time difference is always a killer. You know, it is a place for these people, and it is saying it's important. Yeah, it's important. It's important to feel like you're not alone, especially when someone you loved is gone. Mm. When you're, it's not a family member, where do you go? He was so much a part of the fabric of so many lives. Yeah, and I have to just say, your book really helped me grieve. Um, I, I pre-ordered your book um, when it first came out. Then when I got it, I, I couldn't even look at it for like, I think a year. Uh, I was afraid. I was afraid to read it. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, he had still been passed for quite a while. And then I think it was last summer, we were in our, at Pennsylvania living in our house, and I would get up every morning and take my tea out to the patio sit in the sun and I would read a couple pages of your book while I had my tea. And I didn't realize as I was reading it, how much it was helping me feel like I might not have done what this person did, but I would have done that. Or, oh my God, that's so funny. Um, I can't believe that person did that. Or, and it just made me feel like that could have been me. Like I just saw myself in so many of the stories It would help me grieve because I didn't feel alone. And I saw so much happiness in the passages in the book that it really helped me. Don't be sad, you know? So, um, and I've actually reached out to a couple people um, from your podcast and from the book that in particularly impressed me what they wrote or what they said. And I actually became friends with them. Uh, Jim Solomonis, who I was friends with back before your podcast, but everybody knows Jim Solomonis. And we text back and forth in this hilarious story in your book. I'm, just, I'm not going to do any spoilers about the standee. I guess oh, one yes. of those David's I <laughs> and I, I was laughing so hard. I'm like, I put the book down and I texted Jim because I knew it was probably early enough in, in Australia. And I'm like, Jim, I just read your story in Louise's book. It is so funny. And so we were going back and forth for like 20 minutes. So he's another one. I just get in these spontaneous moods and I'm like, what's, what's the worst that could happen? You know? Yeah. Thank you, Bob, for that. No, thank you. That, that means a great deal. Yeah. But... Even as cardboard, he's a stunning piece oh. of work. <laughs> Yeah, no, so, so your book has just been really, I love it. I love it. It's just been great. So. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Um, everyone who contributed to that and people that I interviewed will love to, to know that as well. That's oh, great. yeah, really, really great. Talking of cardboard, tell me about your Partridge family bus that does the rounds. Oh, I can't believe you're bringing that up. That's hilarious. Everyone's trying to find the original bus, but here we are. You go on tour. Tell us about it. Yes. Basically, what happened was um, I was doing an event in Saratoga, helping run an event in Saratoga. um, And I thought, wouldn't it be great if uh, we, like those standees that they have, if we uh, were able to bring the bus and people would like kind of pose like, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that, right? I mean, it's just crazy. So my husband's like, you're out of your mind. No one's going to do that. And I'm like, you don't understand. They will. So he's usually very supportive. But for this one, he was a little weirded out about it. Um, So basically what happened was um, I contacted a very close uh, David Cassidy friend of mine named Robin. And I said, hey, will you go halves with me if we make this wooden bus and then this way it's collapsible and we can bring it from place to place to place. And she said, absolutely. And I hired a friend of mine who was an artist um, to do it. And um, he made it for us. And so whenever I go to either a David Cassidy related event or um, I'm going to see a bunch of friends that are our age, I bring it and um, everybody loves it. Everybody puts their heads in the windows and hangs their arm out the side. They just love it because you know, they're a particular age group, so they totally get it. And um, I did a fundraiser, I want to say, on the 50th anniversary of the Partridge family, and I put it in front of my driveway in New Jersey. And I put a post and I said, I'm not going to be home, but if any of you want to come by and leave, you know, a donation for uh, I Think I Love You Animal Foundation in my mailbox, take a picture behind the bus and, you know, honor the 50th of the show. And so people did it. People who came to my house, stood in the driveway, took pictures with their little baby grandchildren, their puppies. And then they sent me the pictures and I put them on Facebook and yeah. And I, and I raised a little bit of money, but, um, and then, um, I went to Saratoga with it 
and my girlfriends were all there and they had, some of them had never seen it and they got behind it and the husbands got behind it and the people in the hotel parking lot are looking at us, what are they doing? And people are waving to us. It was great. And the last place it's been was my husband behind my back brought it to my retirement dinner. <laughs> and on my retirement dinner, all my friends at school, of course, know my love of the Partridge family, David Cassidy. And the whole thing was themed Partridge family. So um, it, the placemats were, you know, Mondrian, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then the bus was kind of in the background. So oh. it was fun. So the bus makes the rounds. Yes. So, so it'll be coming down to Florida soon. It's right now. It's still in Pennsylvania, but uh, it'll make it down here. So. Yeah. That's funny that you asked about that. Yeah. Oh, well, it's for fundraising. Oh, I think it's a fabulous idea. I'll get you behind it one day, Louise. I love it. Yeah. Good, easy fundraiser uh, appeal. It's good for that. Now, a few weeks ago, I had a wonderful conversation with Gary Contessa. Yes. Who I know you're very close to. He's great. We were talking about the I Think I Love You Animal Foundation, which was mm -hmm. established in David's memory. You are the president of that. Can mm -hmm. you tell me about its core values? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I heard your uh, interview with Gary and he is such a great storyteller and he's got some great stories with David that obviously he, when we have uh, board meetings, he, he'll tell us a David story and we'll just laugh so hard. And um, so he's, he, your, your podcast episode was great with him. He was great. A group of fans uh, formed, a very small group of women uh, got together, became friends, got together, formed this foundation and went to Dr. Belinsky, who I think Gary mentioned on your podcast, a very good friend with um, David Cassidy, and went to Gary uh, to give us some credibility um, and don't look like we were just a bunch of fans um, doing this, uh, con you know, temporary fad thing. Then we uh, got some other board members who really aren't, I don't want to say they're not David Cassidy fans, but they don't have the same interest level. They're professionals like in the corporate world, um, so we've got uh, a mix of David fans and just regular people who want to help the cause. And basically what the cause is, is um, and, you know, we'll help all animals, but our main focus of the I Think I Love You Animal Foundation is um, retired thoroughbred racing horses. And that's what the main focus is, because as Gary mentioned, um, that's where David lived. That's really what his main love was in terms of when he left the showbiz world. Um, horses were what he thought about, what he read about, what he did. And um, so our main focus is on retired thoroughbred racehorses. And basically, if they need medical attention, if they need sanctuary, when they're done racing, um, they're either, if there's a, an, an emergent situation where they need care or help, basically, um, we're either contacted by someone through our website, uh, I think I love you, animalfoundation.org, or um, we hear of something or Gary, um, who's a great resource for us, finds a horse for us. And um, we did our first fundraiser in July of 2021 and it was fabulous. We raised a lot of money and we uh, just did a fundraiser for, um, I guess it was holiday fundraiser. And um, since Betty White had passed and everybody was uh, asking for donations for charities uh, in honor of Betty White. We also um, kind of hooked into that and we made some money there. And um, basically our fundraiser was for a particular horse named Corbin Gold. Uh, this was our holiday fundraiser. And this is a horse who is at a um, place called Tulsa Boys Home. And basically what it is, is it's a place where horses help to be therapy for young troubled teenage boys in the area. So when we're helping this particular horse or this particular place, we're also helping, you know, kids. And I can't see David saying no to that. Obviously he was, all, he loved children and there's lots of fundraisers in his past that have to do with kids, obviously. So that was our first big horse that we were able to, because of the generous donations of people through our, I believe our July fundraiser and our holiday fundraiser, we were able to help this horse and um, we're working with them and we'll help these young boys. Um, and as a former foster mother, I was like all over that. I was like, yeah, let's, Let's, let's do this. And uh, we mailed a check to them uh, a couple of weeks ago and they were incredibly grateful and uh, their life goes on now and 
we move on to our, our, our mission of, you know, helping restore dignity and spirit to these horses that um, are not, no longer racing. That is a very worthy cause, as you say. It was something very close to, to David's heart. What are your future plans regarding the foundation? Yeah, we have, um, we've, we've got another board meeting in March um, and we're going to start discussing um, our next endeavor. <clears throat> the, the, the challenge right now is we don't know where the world's going to be in terms of in-person, virtual. Like our first um, fundraiser was virtual and um, there was nothing we could do about it. It had to be virtual. So, um, and we had great guests, people from uh, David's life, um, Henry Diltz, Sam Hyman, Rick Siegel was involved. He was the host. Uh, Gary was there. And so I, we don't, we really need to discuss because we want to do another event, as you said, probably around horse racing season. Mm. Do we do it in person? Do we do it in Saratoga? Do we go to a different racetrack somewhere in, in a different part of the country? Right. Can we get people from all over the world to come? Um, so our next one, we really have to hammer out if we're going to continue down virtual or start planning for in-person. Uh, it's a really tricky thing to maneuver uh, because you could have all these great ideas, start planning it, get people to come, and then it's canceled because the numbers go up again. So it's uh, it's a very tricky thing to do. So we will definitely do something. I just don't know the format yet. We've got great people, as I said, on our board, and we're going to start hashing it out in next month. And you take donations all the time? All the time. All the time. And um, sometimes we'll do a little giveaway where, um, oh, I wish I could show it to you, but it's podcast so people couldn't see it. We have a dog tag that's really cute. It's got our logo on it. Mm-hmm. And um, if you have a, um, it's like a necklace. And if you do a specific amount donation, I think it, I want to say it's $25. We do that at, at different times of the year. You would get the dog tag. You know how some people give away hand, um, tote bags and stuff like yes. that. So, um, yeah, but you can donate any time, any amount. You can uh, snail mail something into our P.O. box in uh, New York, or you can do uh, PayPal on the website. What's the website address again? Yeah, it's I think I love you.org. Tell me about the, uh, the friendships that you have made through David and through the fan club and what they mean to you and to his legacy. Well, now, now I will get emotional because when you ask me about my David friendships, my heart just overflows. I think David's legacy, I mean, I know people say it's the music and stuff. For me, uh, I guess that's part of it. For, for me, I would say much more of it is the fact that, and, and what a better legacy than um, having people become friends because of you and changing people's lives because of friendships. And I really think that that is the legacy because I mean, my husband doesn't listen to the music unless it's he's in the car and we put it on. And the husbands of these friends I have don't listen to music, but they've become friends, the husbands, very good friends, some of them. So that's a legacy. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. Friendships that even have nothing to do with the music um, is, is the legacy. And so, so for me, I have become very, very good friends with these women that I didn't even know five years ago. I didn't even know them. Five particular individuals. It might even be six. I'm probably jipping somebody and I'm sorry. We talk all the time, texting, we call, we Zoom. Um, and I just met them because of David Cassidy. And um, it was just one of those things where I met them in a group setting and you just kind of feel a vibe from someone, the way a friendship grows, you know? And um, we clicked instantly. We go on trips with the husbands together. Um, we don't only just talk about David Cassidy. Um, we are true, true deep friends. I love them dearly, these women. And, um, you know, we've lost um, parents in the last five years and we've come to each other. We've, um, we've had like all these different challenges in our lives. And um, the first place I go to uh, is the text thread I have with these six women when I have something come up in my life or, um, and, I, and, I, and I never knew them before. <laughs> and I mean, I, I've met them in person, obviously. I mean, we've gone away for the weekend and these are people that are in my life that are physically in my life. And I would never have met them if it wasn't for David. And like I said, the husbands have met and become friends. It's just a, it's a beautiful legacy that um, you just can have people meet and become friends when you're not even discussed or you're not even around. 
it really has been an amazing benefit to loving him and, and having him. And I say on the meets all the time when I welcome people, I say quite often, I'm glad that we're all here and we've been friends our whole lives. We just didn't know where any of us lived. And that's how I really feel. <laughs> I feel like I've been friends with these women since I was 10 years old. I just didn't know where they lived. And they live in Belgium and they live in Denmark and they live in Long Island and, and they live in England. And, and um, you know, one of us lives in Texas that I'm very good friends with. And we, um, we just had a get together last August. She flew in and we all went to Saratoga together for a weekend with the husbands. And, um, but most of us live in, in the New York area, but to be able to maintain a friendship with someone from Texas yeah. is, is a bit, is a big deal. It's a big deal. So I could go on forever about those women. So don't even get me started. I know you're going to be going to the unveiling of the star on, mm -hmm. the, on the walk of fame in Las Vegas, where there will be a silent auction for the, I think I love you animal foundation yes we're very happy that um they asked us to if we would be the recipient charity and we said absolutely and um i think they're going to make a, a lot of money and um i think that it's not even just about the money i think people are going to be bidding on and getting things that are going to mean a lot to them that's that's a, that's a the great reason for an auction you know it's a win-win i must ask you about your dog cassidy this is actually a really funny story and I can't believe it, but this is what happened. We got this puppy and um, we brought her home. And of course, we're trying to think of a name for her. She's a Wheaton Terrier, soft-coated Wheaton Terrier. She looks like a, a, a Labradoodle. A lot of people think she's a Labradoodle. So she has very curly blonde hair and um, she's just the cutest thing. And so she's in our house and she's hiding under the sofa because she's you know, suddenly somewhere different. And we're trying to think of names and I'm sitting there and I'm like, maybe we should name her Sweetie because it's like Wheaton, Sweeten, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, play with words or whatever. And so we're like, it was the winter time. We're in the house and my husband's watching football. And every once in a while, we'd look at her and throw her name out. And I'd be like, well, I can't name her Keith. You know, I mean, I'm think, trying to think of a, a David Cassidy, Partridge family kind of thing. I'm like, I, maybe I could name her Bandala. My husband's like, you're not naming her Bandala like that. And, um, so I'm like, well, I can't name her Partridge. And all of a sudden my husband, like the next day he looks at me, he's like, why don't I name her Cassidy? And I'm like, of course. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I'm going David, I'm going, you know, Keith. I'm like, he's like, and then he looked it up and it's an Irish name and it means curly hair. So yeah, so isn't that crazy? So she got her name because my husband named her because I couldn't believe that I didn't think of it myself. That's how she got her name. Your husband deserves a special David <laughs> Cassidy award. He's very patient, thoughtful about it. He totally gets it. When we got married in 2009, when they announce you, you know, for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. James Collantine, we walked into, I think I love you was being played. People started cracking up and laughing because they knew of course that that was like my life. And his friends were just like, oh my God, this poor man, you know? <laughs> and then the other thing that's probably one of the nicest things he's ever done for me, um, besides bring the bus up to Saratoga for the weekend and, and all my friends were able to take pictures and I had no idea he was doing that. When David passed that day, um, well, that morning I woke up and um, David was, obviously I went to bed that night before and um, it was a work night. So I went to bed early and I knew he was sick and he was in the hospital. And I was really worried and I was constantly checking on Facebook and everything. And um, I woke up the next morning and I went into the bathroom and my phone had 53 messages, text messages on it. And I thought, He's, he died, he died. And I started shaking and I opened up the phone and I scrolled through all of them. I didn't look at them. And I looked for my husband's name because I wanted him to be the one to tell me. I wanted his name, his message to be the one. And I found his name and it said, I'm so sorry. Call me if you need to. And that's when I knew and I read the rest of him. And then that night he came home with flowers for me. Oh. Yeah. He knew, he got it, he gets it. We call, I call him the president of the DC Husbands Club. <laughs> <laughs> 
day. Because he's a good sport. He's a good yeah. sport. And he loves sitting around bars when we're out with our other, my DC women friends with the husbands and they just sit there and roll their eyes and they talk about sports and we talk about David Cassidy. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, he's great. Oh, he's, he sounds awesome. I really appreciate you spending so much time and talking to, to me about David and what he's meant to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I hope it was, uh, I hope it was what you expected. It's important that we keep his memory alive. And it's important that we continue to preserve his, his legacy. Yeah, and I, I think we're doing that. I think in different formats. To keep the name out there and to keep the knowledge growing um, well, is really what the goal is, I think, for everybody. And to make ourselves feel better that this was a, a loss, but um, we can keep going. Yeah, I, I, I tend to wonder sometimes if this would all be going on while he was alive. Like, or we, is it, because it wasn't happening before, you know? So I don't think I, I would have done the virtual fan club if he was still alive. You know what I mean? Like there was, there's just such a, a loss, like you said, and um, we're looking for something to keep it alive, to keep thinking about it and to keep experiencing it, watching the show, listening to the music, you know, watching clips of him performing. I don't know if this would all be happening if he was still alive. So it's kind of sad that you have to, you know, this always happens when you lose people. This is an illustration of how much he mattered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, well, yeah, he mattered to people and uh, he changed lives or even made people do certain things. Like, so yeah, definitely. Forever grateful, forever mm. grateful that I lived during the time that he was alive because uh, I, I couldn't, I don't know. I just, it definitely informed me as a person, so. I have enjoyed this afternoon so much. Thank you. It was just such a thrill to meet you. You're very easy to talk to and it's a great topic. And I, I hope to meet you in person one of these days when uh, either you come to the States or I come to uh, to the UK because uh, I'm starting to fly again and uh, getting more adventurous now that I'm retired. It'd be fabulous to meet you in person. I just, uh, I, I can't appreciate you more and uh, what you did for my life in terms of the book. Yeah, the book is, it's just important. So thanks very much to Bob Collantine there for joining me this week. Don't forget, you can find us wherever you get your podcast from. And until we connect again, take care. <laughs>